This morning, our scripture lesson comes from the gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 10. Let's share in God's good word together. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Justice cannot prevail until there are enough of us equipped with the love and character of Jesus to act under God's direction to secure good for all people. My name is Mark Foster. I'm the senior pastor of the people known as Acts 2 United Methodist Church. And we take our name from a group of people who come from different backgrounds and different countries and different cultures and different upbringings who all came together to change the world for good by the power of the Holy Spirit. With Jesus in charge, we pray it will happen again now. We are in a sermon series called Disrupted, What to Do When You Don't Know What to Do, and this is our final installment of that series. But this entire series, all eight weeks of it, has been based on Psalm 145. We can love God with all that we are because we know this truth. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and His compassion is over all that He has made. And because we know this truth about God, we then are free to act, to know that we serve a loving and wonderful God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And it doesn't matter where you're from or where you've been or even necessarily where you're going. God will meet you there because his love and his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness is for all people in every place and every time. So what are we to do with this? Jesus actually has a conversation with a lawyer of his day to teach us what to do. The story goes like this in Luke chapter 10. Just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you've given the right answer. We are to love God with all that you are and your neighbor as yourself. Dr. John Townsend uh, says it like this. He says, loving God means bringing all the aspects of your heart, your personality and emotions to the relationship so that he can work with you and help you. God is more ready to help you than you are even to pray. And so I want to invite you to make room for God to work so that God can make a way where there seems to be no way in your life. Invite God in to all of your emotions, all of your personality, all of your family system, everything you've been through and everything you hope for, invite God in and then walk in the way that God makes for you. But this is important, friends. Jesus says that it's not enough just to know the right thing. We must do it. It's not enough to know it. We must do it. We must walk in that way, not just know that there is a way, but actually take steps into it. And so notice that Jesus says to him, 
you've given the right answer. Do this and you will live. Notice as it doesn't say, you've given the right answer, good job, that's it. No, you've given the right answer, now go live it out. Which is always the hard part, right? You have to go live it out. Do this and you will live, Jesus says. The problem is that when things don't go our way and we get afraid, we get anxious and we have anxiety, we're worried, we try to take things into our own hands. And when we do that, chaos and fear and pain follow. We struggle to bring our fear to God. All of us do this. Uh, It's the earliest story we have in the Bible with Adam and Eve. They make their own way, and then they're afraid, and then they separate from God, and pain follows. And it's been that way ever since. So Jesus addresses this problem uh, of this attorney who's trying to not change his life. He wants to know exactly what are the limits. How do I think of myself as a good person? How do I prove myself a good person and still do what I'm comfortable doing? So the story um, in the Bible says this, but wanting to justify himself, this attorney asked Jesus, and who exactly is my neighbor? I know that I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself, but what do I have to do exactly? What's enough? How far do I have to go, Jesus? And rather than giving him a direct answer, Jesus tells him a story, a parable. And he replies, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, this is a 20-mile stretch from Jericho to Jerusalem, and it was notoriously dangerous. Chantel and I had the great opportunity to to go and actually be at that road um, two different times in Israel. The first time was in 2015. And between Jerusalem, as you're leaving Jerusalem, headed down to Jericho, uh, this would be on your left-hand side, and you can see this deep ravine. Um, And as you zoom in, you'll notice that the road of Jericho simply follows the river. And if you really zoom in, you'll see that there is no way for you to know what's behind the next bend. It would be easy for a robber to hide behind a, a rock or hide behind the next turn and jump out and mug you, and that would be the end of you. Everybody knew this about this stretch of road. It's only 20 miles long, but it drops about 13,000 feet. It is, it is a huge uh, change in elevation. It was a tough road. It was a hard road, and it was one that no one took lightly. So Jesus continues the story. He says, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell into the hands of robbers. And all the listeners would say, Yeah, I'm sure he did, because that's what happens on that road. That wasn't news to anybody. He says, they stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. And again, everybody would have sort of nodded in agreement. Yes, that's what happens on the Jericho Road. Everybody knows that part of town, so to speak. And then Jesus lays out these four different characters uh, that are in the story. The first uh, is really about his conversation with the lawyer. And the lawyer wanted to define the limits required for neighborliness. What exactly do I have to do, Jesus, to be a good neighbor? What exactly does God require of me? And of course, we know that this attorney already kind of knows the answer. He knows the scriptures. He's already said that. He's just trying to protect himself and figure out, you know, what's sort of the least common denominator of his faith life that he can get by with and still sneak into heaven. So the central character of the story that Jesus tells is defined only by what happened to him. Now, this is important because so often when we come to these divisive and dark times in our nation's history, people want to know exactly the background or the story behind the victim 
And Jesus doesn't fall for that. He says, no, no, no. The only thing you're going to know about this is what happened to the man. You're not going to know where he grew up. You're not going to know his race or his background, um, who he ran with, his class, none of it. All you know is what happened to him. And that's the first character in the story. So it goes like this. Now, by chance, the second character is a priest who was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Well, these are two upstanding people uh, that they all look to. A priest was the highest uh, sort of administrative official uh, of their time. This was somebody that was highly revered. But here's the thing that you might not know, and that is that if a priest found a corpse, he was required to bury it. And so as he comes across this guy, he doesn't know if he's alive or dead or about to die or if he dies on his watch, then he's got to go bury him. I mean, it would, it would blow up his whole day. Whatever plans he had, uh, if he was headed to Jerusalem, all those were over. Because if this guy dies under his watch, all of his plans are ruined. And so he doesn't take that chance. He goes on by. And, and the second guy, the Levite, who would be an associate of the priest, if he touched a dead man, he would be unclean for seven days. Now, you understand what it is to be quarantined for seven days. It's a part of our culture now. No one wants to have to self-quarantine. No one wants to have to step outside of their life for a full week. And if any God-fearing Jew came across a a corpse, came across a dead man, they would have to self-quarantine for seven days. That was their rule. That's what they did. It comes out of the Levitical law, and it's referenced in Numbers 19. It says this, Those who touch the dead body of any human being shall be unclean seven days. And as you know, that's a long time to be separated from your community. Now, it was well known that robbers would use decoys to lure people into their traps. It was, still do it today. Somebody acts like they have their car broken down or they're not feeling well and they're bent over in pain or they're laying over. And as soon as you go to help, the others from around the corner jump out and grab you and beat you up and take your stuff or leave you for dead. And again, In in this area between Jericho and Jerusalem, there's just no way to protect yourself. You couldn't see them coming, and most people wouldn't dare go down that road to help you. They just assumed that if you went down that road, you were taking your life in your own hands. And there wasn't a group of people uh, looking out for your good. Uh, They didn't have highway patrol. They didn't have folks um, looking after them. Whatever happened to you, happened to you. And then Jesus says there's this third guy. He's not a priest. He's not an associate of a priest. He's not even Jewish. He's a Samaritan. And the Samaritan was a foreigner who was not expected to show sympathy to the Jews at all. As a matter of fact, they hated each other. This was racism at its most terrible. They had hated each other for centuries. Samaria was a a place just north uh, of the Jericho Road. And it was filled with people who had intermarried between the Assyrians in the exile and Jewish people. And so it was a mixed race and Jews and Samaritans did not get along. You can see this all the way through the New Testament. Uh, Jesus has another story with a Samaritan woman. They simply weren't even supposed to talk. Uh, They weren't supposed to have even their shadow uh, touch one another. They hated each other. There was no such thing as a good Samaritan. Now, when we say the Good Samaritan, we have a certain idea of it. In that day, they could not imagine what that would look like. 
So again, back to the story. Jesus says, A Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. Other translations say compassion. His heart broke. He felt compassion, mercy for this man. He saw his need and he met it. And not only was he moved with compassion, but he was prepared to do what was needed in that situation. Somehow, I don't know if this was his regular practice, but in this story, the Samaritan had wine, which would cleanse wounds, and oil to heal wounds. He had them both on him and he goes and helps this man in his time of need without asking his background or his country or his family system. He went and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii. You would want to know that's about two days' wages. It was a lot of money. And he gave them to the innkeeper. And he said, take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Friends, if you look at the average income in our area here in Edmond, that means that the Samaritan gave roughly $700 to the Motel 6. He goes to the innkeeper, and he gives him $700. And, and in my mind, the innkeeper is thrilled with that. He's not used to getting that much money, certainly up front. And then he says, oh, and by the way, if for some reason this $700 doesn't cover it, just let me know. And when I come back to check on him, I'll pay you whatever that is. This is an amazing story. And the hearers would have just been shocked. And so Jesus finishes the story and then he asks a question and he awaits the lawyer's answer. Jesus says in verse 36, which of these three, the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan, do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Now you'll note that the lawyer has just said that he knows what's expected of him. And that is to love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, everything that you are, and love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus turns it back on him. He says, well, which one is it? Who do you think was a neighbor to the man? And listen to the lawyer's answer. The lawyer says this, the one who showed him mercy. The word Samaritan will not come out of his mouth. He has learned hatred since an early age. There was no way he was going to give credit to someone that wasn't like him, that didn't think like him, that didn't look like him, that didn't grow up like him. It didn't matter what he did. He would not give him credit. He simply says back to Jesus, yes, Jesus, you got me, but I'm not even going to say his name out loud. The one who showed him mercy. Notice this racist answer. He would not even use his name. Friends, this problem of racism that we're dealing with is a part of the human condition. It has been around since the time of Jesus and it will not go away on its own. We all have a part to play in changing the world, in living for God and loving God's people wherever we find them, particularly those who are hurting, those who are in need, those who need help, regardless of their background, because Jesus didn't say it, which I take to mean it didn't matter to him. So it shouldn't matter to us. And Jesus answered back to him as this. Go and act like this very person that you hate. Because you're right. He did the right thing. He was neighborly. He did the right thing. He's fulfilling the law. Even though the leaders of the church were not. 
in that scenario. He says, this guy did. Go and do likewise. I don't care how you feel about him. I don't care how you grew up around this. Go and do what he did because that's the right thing. It's never wrong to do the next right thing. Jesus says, go and do likewise. The scripture says, the one who showed him mercy, and Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Yes, that's exactly right. William Barclay years ago said it like this. He says, in the end, we will be judged not by the creed we hold, but by the life we live. It doesn't matter if you know this stuff. It matters if you actually act it out, live it out. We are judged not by the creeds, not just by our thoughts, but by the life we lead, by our actions, by what we actually do in Jesus' name. And what Jesus called for in his life and that his spirit calls for now is a call for unity. That division tears at the fabric of our faith communities, of our state and of our nation. And Jesus says to have nothing to do with the divisiveness. Rather, in the Gospel of John, Jesus says this, I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they may, say it with me, all be one. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, so that they may be, again, one. And as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may become completely one, in case you missed it the first three times. Completely one, Jesus says, so that the world may know. It is our witness, friends, that we are unified, that we are loving, that we are people of mercy and pity and compassion to those who need help, and that our witness is how we love one another and love those in need. Completely one, Jesus says, so that the world may know that you have sent me and I have loved them even as you have loved me. You see, friends, as we focus on God, as we love God, as we love our neighbor, unity happens. It simply is an outflow of the life in Christ that when we turn our eyes to Jesus, when we love God with all that we are and we love our neighbor as ourselves, unity happens. It's not something you can force. It is something that is a byproduct of the fruit of our life. God's reality is harmony where all the parts work together for good. One of the great joys of my life growing up was being uh, in band and orchestra and symphonies. Um, And I remember when I would play my note and other people would play their notes, we would focus on the conductor, on the master, on the maestro. And as we looked at him, And we did our part. Harmony and unity happened. It was a joyous thing. Now, is it true that every once in a while I would play in a rest? Yes. But I also had the good sense to know that that was an embarrassment to me. I didn't glory in it. I didn't intentionally play in a rest. I didn't intentionally blow up the unity and the harmony of the orchestra or the symphony or the band of which I was a part. When I misstepped, when I actually divided what was being put together, it was embarrassing to me. And I tried to never do it again. And in my faith life, I try not to pull away from anything that God is doing. If I see another Christian community doing something that honors God and helps people, that's great. We're not in competition with that. And so every day we have to ask ourselves, God, what is my place in your beautiful symphony? What part do you have me to play? Give me the power to do it. 
Dr. Henry Cloud puts it this way. He says, when you are in a bad situation in life and can't find it within yourself to know what the next step should be, love God. Turn your eyes to the maestro. Do your part. Simply love him with all that you are and the unity will follow. The harmony follows out of your obedience to Christ and his way. And so as we live this out together, I want to implore you to take these action steps this week. Our world desperately needs it. Love God with every part of yourself, your heart, your soul, your mind, and your actions, and watch miracles begin to unfold in your life and, quite frankly, in the lives of those around you. Because as you put your faith in Christ and you live for Him, others are blessed by that. And as you do that, know that your life may actually get more difficult because the forces of darkness, spiritual warfare, it doesn't want to have anything to do with that. And so you have to decide ahead of time that you're going to refuse to take part in darkness or in division. Whether that's online, in a conversation with your family or friends or someone that you've met, or in your thoughts. And and just to be fair, friends, other than online church, I just stay off Facebook these days. I just would. Because it's divisive. And there's a lot of darkness. And there's a lot of hardships. We want to be people of light and love and grace. And we want to lift one another up. We want to love God with all that we are, love our neighbor, and bless those, even those who persecute us. And then I want to invite you to show mercy. Show mercy this week because Jesus said, go and do likewise. He told the story. The guy got it right. Yes, it was the Samaritan. Go and be like him. Be prepared to care for others. Live your life in such a way that when you come across a need, you'll be able to meet it, to bless others, to take a risk, to know that, yes, this might be a decoy. Yes, that might not be the the smartest thing in the world's uh, ways to stop and help someone. But Jesus says, I've told you the story. You've got it right. Go and do likewise in my name. Because here's the bottom line truth of this entire series, and that is this, that God makes a way to the extent you make room for God to work. You see, God will make a way if you make room. You have to make room for God to work in your life. He loves you and he's trying to make a way for you. But that way is largely dependent on your participation, on your cooperation, on your willingness to go and do likewise. Dallas Willard put it very pointedly in his book, The Spirit of the Disciplines. He says this. It's it's basically what I started this sermon with that justice cannot prevail until there are enough people properly equipped with Christ's character and power who cooperatively and under God constantly see to it that the good is secured and that the right is done. It is so important, friends, in these days that you do the next right thing, that you refuse to be a part of darkness, you refuse to be a part of division, And you love God with all that you are, you love your neighbor, and you show mercy. Not because anybody deserves it, but because they're in need. This is the way of Jesus, the Christ, our Savior. Amen. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you that you have taught us all that we need to know to live well. That you have granted us the grace and the gift of the Holy Spirit to empower us to live in your name to love you, to love others, and to bless and not to curse, to help and not to hurt, 
to unite and not divide. And we pray that you would help each and every one of us live into the peace you have us to play. Whatever note you'd like for us to play, let us play it. Let us hold that note as long as you want or as short as you want. And when you tell us to rest, Lord, may we hear your voice to rest. And when you call us to play or to act or to serve or to take a risk in your name, that you would help us and empower us to do that, not by our might, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. Guide us and direct us, O Lord. And we thank you that you've taught us even how to pray by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.